Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Welcome to the Life in Law Podcast. This is your host, Heather Mulder. And today we have a wonderful guest who I met through a coffee chat. Um, This is becoming a theme. I've met a couple of people the last couple of months that I've had on the podcast. When we talked on our coffee chat, I was like, oh my gosh, you have to share the story. You got to get on. And he is finally here with us today. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. This should be fun. I hope it's fun. So um, why don't we just start at the beginning? You know, I I like to start with my guest's journey into why they became lawyers and what led them (laughs) on the path to where they are now. So, you know, where did it all start for you? Why did you decide? When did you decide? And why did you decide to go to law school? So I I would say I took what is now more of a traditional path to law school. Um, You know, it used to be that you'd go to undergrad, you get a degree in poli sci, go to law school and go work at a traditional big law firm. But I do nothing traditionally or in kind of a linear sense is kind of the trajectory I've always been on. So I got a degree in creative writing from (laughs) University of Illinois um, and graduated during the recession in 2009. And so I was trying to figure out what to do. um, And I was living actually at home with my parents at the time, delivering furniture. Oh, wow. And after doing that for several months, I'm like, I'm not cut out for this. This is not for me um, to do something like this. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. So I just made it this simple. I was like, I like to read. I like to write and I'm good at it. And I like helping people. And that was really kind of the oversimplification of then I was like, what careers um, does that lead to? Mm-hmm. So I bought a LSAT book on Amazon and I would just go to the library and every day read a, a book. And then um, on the weekend, I would take two practice LSAT exams. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and I did that for about three months. So I read a ton of books. And I took a ton of practice LSATs. Then my journey to law school, I went to one law school, John Marshall in Chicago. And then I transferred after my 1L year to University of Illinois, where I did my undergrad. Like I said, I do nothing traditionally. They tell you don't go to law school with the idea of transferring. But I went to law school with the idea that I was going to transfer. And so how I ended up doing what I'm doing now is I had a buddy who is like, hey, let's take a four-hour bankruptcy course. I was like, that sounds absolutely miserable. But I did. I took it, um, and I loved it, and I callied the class. I got the highest grade in the class, and 
I was like, I'm not going to fight it. So much of law school is like, <laughs> this has to be hard. This has to be miserable. Um, and so, so many attorneys go into law school thinking that they're going to change the world. Right. Um, and then end up doing M&A, which maybe changes the world. I don't know. But <laughs> um, And it's hard and there's a struggle. And it's okay to do things that are hard. You need grit. You need determination. But why not just take a moment to be like, gosh, this comes naturally. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I just ran with it and took several more bankruptcy courses. And then it turns out that my future father-in-law was a solo bankruptcy attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Illinois. And so I had an opportunity. I could have clerked for a judge, a bankruptcy judge in Chicago, or go join my father-in-law's practice in Nebraska. And the funny thing is, is when I was looking at law schools, one of the law schools I looked at was Creighton. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time, I was like, I could never live in Nebraska. And this is why you never say never, because life provides these opportunities. And once again, uh, you you have to just go with it, go mm-hmm. with the flow um, and not fight it. So, yeah. So I worked with my father-in-law and made his practice a lean, mean fighting machine. He was already working remotely, and this was in 2014. Um, so it was kind of ahead of his time. And so I just kind of took his practice to the next level. We started using Clio. We went paperless to the most we could. Um, we reduced our staff size by three to one. And then I was looking to my next thing. So I was looking for opportunities and... Um, there's this really cool family law firm in Omaha called Koenig Dunn that is run very differently. One of the founders is an executive coach. Mm. And so every staff member gets monthly coaching, which is very, just very unique. Very unique. Yes. Um, that that's provided in house. Every but, staff member, not just lawyers. That's correct. That's so, awesome. Okay. Uh, down to the receptionist. Wow. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So it created this really cool environment of not only kind of professional growth, but personal human growth mm-hmm. and support that you don't really find in a law firm culture no. um, ever. No. And so uh, that was a very... So I approached them. I, I said, hey, how about we take on our entire firm? And... Um, I'm always taking risks like this. You never know unless you make the ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of informs of a lot of what I do, which is different than a lot of attorneys that overthink or calculate or try to determine every outcome. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I was just like, what would happen if these two law firms that have been around for 30 years come together? That had very different practices. Yeah, so bankruptcy. Uh, so the firm I, my father-in-law's firm was a bankruptcy boutique, and the firm we joined was like a family law boutique. What made you think, oh, this would be great? Like, <laughs> how, how do you... At the time, at the time, I was thinking more of the culture, the support, the environment, the people. That's okay. Than the practice area meshing. Exactly. Which is the yeah. exact opposite of what every other lawyer would do. 
Yeah, yes, uh, absolutely. And it, and it came back. So uh, about three, about three years later, my father-in-law retired. That was part of the goal, too, is to kind of help him transition into retirement. He was an attorney who thought his retirement plan was he was just going to die practicing. Mm. And he almost did. He had a heart transplant about a decade before. And wow. so that's not a retirement plan, though. No. And we see this in the practice for so many attorneys is their identity is tethered to one sole thing. I'm an attorney. If I'm not an attorney, what will I do? Who would I even um, be? Yeah. What it, What is the core of me? My soul is that. And so I had this really wonderful opportunity to then see him kind of change and transform in the last couple of years of his practice to focus on like mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation and uh, showing emotion, all these things that previously he hadn't provided himself an opportunity to do Okay, in, in this environment that was very supported. But like you pointed out, at a certain point you go, well, bankruptcy and family law, these two practice areas don't mesh extremely well in mm-hmm. terms of even a business model. Bankruptcy is largely set fee. It's uh, high volume. Mm-hmm. Family law is hourly rate, very traditional in that right. sense. And uh, the firm I was at had a very strong brand. Mm. Their their firm name was synonymous with family law. Family law. Yeah. I would think you could, like, you could mesh the two over time if you really wanted to. But you the could, brand it, would have to change. And exactly. that's probably the, the hardest thing to do. Like, you can... You can get around the fees and get comfortable with the different, like almost different silos of how you, you know, how you collect if you want to. Mm-hmm. But branding is really difficult. And I would think that especially given the strong culture that they had, that all of that was tied into the branding and the branding kind of helped with the culture as well. And so I could see where that would over time kind of start to get in the way. <laughs> yeah, it made it where I I framed it as and it was the truth at the time was I can't compete with your the brand of the firm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be spending a lot of time and energy, and so is the firm, to create the sustainable long-term bankruptcy practice here. Okay. And so I uh, decided to go solo. Hmm. Um, and then the pandemic happened the next week. I literally oh. started and the pandemic happened. But this provided an opportunity. And this is how I see all these things is these are opportunities is that I was planning to be a virtual law firm. Boom. The pandemic made this very easy. It did. (laughs) Um, And so once again, it was another opportunity. I was going to fight it. Right. It just I leaned into it. You can file bankruptcy from wherever you are. And so that's kind of what I rolled with. And for the first you know, six months to a year, it was doing okay. But this is the fascinating thing about legal practice in the market is that when certain practice areas were blowing up, right? And Mm -hmm. the big law firms couldn't hire fast enough. Certain practice areas like bankruptcy suffered. Right. No one was filing bankruptcy, which seems strange. 
people think, oh, if there's financial distress and all this stuff. Well, there's a bunch of free money. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of talk of like, how do you prepare your law firm for a recession? And it's fascinating because my practice area thrives in recession. Yep. But uh, one of the things I came to terms with was this idea that to have the life I wanted to live, this is all the introspection that COVID provided and the firm I was at before provided an environment of kind of this self-reflection, who you are, why are you doing things, what decisions are you making, what kind of clients are you having, what's your business development, Mm -hmm. what is your personal brand? Right. And so we've talked about, I decided to implement an a four-day work week. And I'm pretty hardcore. Like, I don't work on the weekends. I rarely work past five o'clock. I rarely start working before nine o'clock and I time block my entire day. My days are scripted from the time I start to the time I end. And even built into there are things like thinking, Mm. technology review, responding to emails. So in terms of having this flexibility that I'm afforded by being my own boss and running my own firm as a, at that time, a solo attorney, um, I needed structure. Mm. Flex- flexibility doesn't mean you don't have structure. I would agree with that. Um, yes. And, you know, flexibility it is more of a mindset. It's more of the way you approach your tasks, your days, your relationships, your life, as opposed to kind of what we've... <laughs> boiled it down to now with the pandemic of where do you work? Yeah, that's an interesting, and that's something that I think lawyers are starting to realize. So pre-pandemic, I consistently heard about, I just need more flexibility and balance. And that was defined as I need to be home at certain hours. As, As though like your time was just like cut up into different pieces, right? Yep. And... Yet they didn't think through, or I need to be able to work from home when my home, my kid is sick, or I need to be, you know, more ability to be at home or go pick a child up or take them to the doctor. And yeah, that, that there's a little bit of flexibility in that, that, you know, you need to be able to leave when you need to leave to go take care of the things you need to take care of. But there's so much more to it. And when you define it only that way, you get caught up at what, what a lot of lawyers I found figured out, which is what I kept saying, be careful with this, be careful with this. Because if you have no boundaries, if you have no structure, if you like, you have to be really careful when you're at home to create structure around it and systems and boundaries, because it's real easy to get sucked into, well, I'll just do this one more thing. Oh, I'm going to take care of that. Oh, I'm going to, you know, and the next thing you know, you're working more than you ever worked before. (laughs) Yeah, it's what is where where what's your anchor? What's your starting point? Mm-hmm. Is it work first? Yeah, because then if it's work first, I was just talking with someone I know, a friend who's an attorney, and they were like, "Isn't this great? Now we have WebEx. You can take video calls from your kid's soccer game." It's Why like, would you want to do that? Exactly. It's it's not a this pervasive invasive thing. It's not flexibility. 
that's not fun. that's not flexibility that's just no. um you're actually more just, tied to your yeah, work yeah you're you're more tethered you have less actually less autonomy and there's less trust if that is the definition of flexibility I want to, before we move forward with this, go back to something. So Mm -hmm. you talked earlier about how typical lawyers do things, the typical path, the typical way of lawyer thinking. And I do think there's this push-pull of there's a certain amount of people who choose law school who are already somewhat like thinking those terms. But then you go to law school and you're taught to think even more (laughs) so like a lawyer. And I fully believe that what they teach us, although it helps us to better analyze problems, issues, you know, an issue spot and provide proper risk analysis and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. It also bleeds into the rest of our lives in a way that is, it creates a lot more stress for us. If we don't know Mm -hmm. how to get away from the lawyer thinking, the lawyer way of thinking through things and seeing the world. Yeah. And the, and the, and the world is not a fact pattern to be analyzed. And most of the practice of law has nothing to do about analyzing an appellate or Supreme Court decision. And I mean, now there's studies coming out about mental health um, of attorneys and what law school does to Mm -hmm. um, students. And, you know, it's creates this environment of paranoia distrust competition i mean look like law school rankings and grades and oci but that doesn't go away when they walk away from the law school that continues on for most people and (laughs) goes into this is why i think big law can be so miserable for so many because you have like a big group of these people who've been convinced to like be that way all the time (laughs) oh yeah i mean it's even like there's law, law firms that are like hey Full, they sell us transparency. Hey, you can see everyone's billables. You know, we're going to basically put it out there. Well, all that is, is a way for people to once again, engage in kind of this rat race or competition or say, well, I'm not billing as much as John. I'm not as worthy as John. I remember um, my, the end of my first full year of practice, I was at a law firm that did that amongst the partners. And not only they would give billables, they would give collections on their originated work, collections on their billables, I mean, everything, right? And they would rank them. And the partners would print this stuff out and go and analyze it and get then pissed off about, well, oh, and they'd also show what people were paid. <laughs> it's even worse. It was the most unhealthy environment for like a good six weeks where people were trying to wrangle for more money and why did they this and why did I not get credit for this? And it was it was horrible. <laughs> it's just horrible. Yeah, it, it's what it's what you emphasize. It's what you point to that informs everything else. So if your whole firm is predicated on everyone's value is the billable hour, then it's all consuming. Mm-hmm. then everything you're doing is framed in, well, what did I bill for that? I mean, the joke I say is like some firms will be like, well, did you think about it in the shower getting ready? Did you dream about it? Bill it. You know, there's a point one for everything. I don't know. I, I always came from the frame of reference of, well, 
just be a good person, mm. be yourself and the work will come. I mean, the money, the money is there. People hire people. Mm. Like, like at the end of the day, like it's how you show up. It's how you are. Like I just had a client the other day tell me like in bankruptcy is tough, right? Like I'm helping people through tough stuff. The client was like, you've made a hard situation um, kind of fun. Wow. That's like the ultimate compliment. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I don't, we don't spend time on like having a billable hour requirement. There is none. We don't spend time saying like, you know, how many hours did you bill last month? I don't even know. Like if someone asked me like, how many hours did you bill last year? I have no idea. I spend zero time or energy or thought even looking. Even knowing, even knowing, and I'm the owner of a law firm uh, that, you know, next year will probably hit seven figures in revenue. And we don't have the traditional sense of like, you need to build 2000, 2600, whatever it is, because it's not important. Well, and I think what's interesting, I've, I've always thought it nuts, frankly, that lawyers are so tethered to the billable hour when there are plenty of other service professions out there that do not charge that way. And they make money and they're able to make a living. And I don't, you can get away from the billable hour. You got to be a good business person. That's where a lot of lawyers get screwed up though. They don't understand what it means to be a business person. And then they rely on the billable hour because it, I think it makes it easier for them to, oh, well, if I build this much and I collect this much of what I build, then I make this much money. Yeah, and... it's, a, it's very analytical. Mm-hmm. It's very logical. It's pretty black and white. It's something you can control, right? And I think that's one of the things like with with flat fee. So bankruptcy, primarily what I do is flat fee. Mm-hmm. And you're incentivized to be the most efficient, and provide the most value with spending the least amount of actual time possible. Yeah. Um, what does that require? Or what does that facilitate or necessitate or pro, you know cause to proliferate is systems, technology, efficiency. And when you're on the intake, you're more careful. Mm. Right? Like, like uh, we just onboarded two new attorneys. And one of the things we talked about yesterday in the onboarding was it's okay to say no. We have an environment of not every client is the right client. And so I think that has part of it too, kind of this idea that, you know, if you're not miserable working on a client matter, if the client's not making you miserable, if the situation's not making you miserable, somehow you're not being successful. And you hear it. I mean, it's, I always thought it was odd that like, when as a law student, you would interact with practicing attorneys and they're like, we don't know why you're doing this. This is the worst <laughs> decision you've ever made. You're like, dude, like I, we're spending all this money, all this time, all this energy. How demoralizing. Well, it, with yeah. that, I've always like turned that around. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> what, what on earth are you thinking? If yeah. you're saying this to me, like exactly. something's wrong with what you're doing. You know, people feel divested of, choice of 
the autonomy to and having the agency to change what they're doing. Um, they feel locked in. They feel like they'll be judged or somehow there's there's like shame in saying, this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in eight years, I've adapted a lot. I, I It's very malleable mm-hmm. being an attorney. You know, you can kind of be a chameleon. You, you don't have to you don't have to stick with what you're doing if it's not working. Change it. Like it wasn't working for me to work five days a week. I was super burned out by Friday. I was a shell of a human being. And then the weekend I was just miserable. Mm. I was so I was so tired. Now go losing a work day. What did I lose? Absolutely nothing. What I learned was nothing happens on Friday. <laughs> but honestly. My wife will say, like, I check my emails on Friday, make sure there's not anything like super important. I'll do like work light, mm-hmm. but it's a mindset. I'm not like I'm sitting down and working today for this time block. And honestly, nothing has changed. It's all about expectation. Mm. So it's like you control the client's expectation. You control the the way you're going to perform the work. And you and yet, need to. Most attorneys don't do that. They don't take oh. control. They let the compliant oh. control them 100%. Yeah, or opposing counsel. And I've had to tell attorneys, like, you know, are you available Friday afternoon at four? No. Like, we can do this on Monday. Like, there's no. This is the other thing I think that law school kind of ingrains in us that is that kind of everything is this urgent situation. It's really not. The practice of law used to happen pretty slowly. Mm-hmm. This is another this is another downside of technology and the immediacy culture that we live in is that there's this expectation because we can do things quicker that we should. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. The practice of law, particularly some of these situations, needs time to percolate, to work themselves out. So like for me, like I don't respond to client emails on the weekend. If someone calls, I don't make a phone call on the weekend. And that has to do with setting boundaries, taking control, reducing my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that, and I've really gone on a kind of this mission to see how far I can push these different life changes. Um, so like I stopped using a smartphone seven months ago. Oh, wow. So I have not used my iPhone in seven months. Mm. First couple days, first week or two. It was amazing. Well, the thing was, I realized how much I was just reaching for it in every quiet down moment. It was just occupying so much of my mind space and I didn't even realize it. Uh, Then the next thing is I stopped drinking alcohol. For a while, I stopped drinking coffee, but that's 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 not a long term solve. I, I don't recommend it for anyone. Uh, you can try it, but it's very hard. And this just kind of goes to even with the legal profession or the way I practice or the way I view kind of what can be done is just trying it. Like what happens if you do a four day work week? 
what happens if you set a boundary? What happens if you say no to a particular kind of client? What happens if you set parameters for your life? Mm. And then make conscious and intentional decisions about how you're going to practice as an attorney. Well, and I would just say to anybody out there who's like, well, I I can't do that. I can't do that. Like the gut reaction is no, I can't. I would say, slow down. Remember that your internal voice is like pre-designed and no, 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 no change, change bad. Like slow down, think through it and say, okay, is that really true? And explore why you think you can't. Because 99% of the time, in my experience, it's fear of failing, but ultimately fear of judgment. We don't want to be judged by other people. We want to be perceived in a particular way. And when you understand and admit that's truly it, because most attorneys don't like to admit they care that much, it's actually easier to sit down and challenge it and go, well, wait a second. You got to start asking yourself some questions. Why do I care so much about what other people who aren't even 90-something percent of the time, the people you're worried about aren't even a part of your like core life, like who you care about the most? Why do I care what they think, how they'll judge me more than what I care about what I'll say about myself into the future when I'm looking back on my life? And I'm, yeah. you know... It, it's ridiculous when you look at it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just uh, the the constructs that are set up that, you know, to be a zealous advocate, you sac- it's like you are sacri- you're sacrificing something. Mm-hmm. It has to do with even how most of the law, um, there's this idea or this paradigm of kind of the victim mentality. This is being done to me. How could this happen to me? This person is doing it to me. Even attorneys will say stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Like this, uh, can you believe this judge is doing this to me? And it's like, no one's this special. How about instead you take control of what you can control and let go of that which you can't? Yeah. And this is very hard for attorneys because we like uh, being outcome determinative. And uh, I learned early on that the client a lot of times doesn't even care about the outcome. It's how they feel while going through the process. It's yes. the way they experience the support and the in your support happening with them that matters. That's and- a huge revelation that I think very few attorneys realize but they are outcome, like they're trying to strive for the outcome, the perfect outcome for their client when that is completely not under their control. And I don't care what kind of lawyer you are. I was a corporate finance lawyer. Outcome still wasn't up to me, you know, and I wasn't in the midst of litigation where all these different things were going on. And fact patterns were fact patterns that I couldn't change. Like you still could not determine the outcome. What you could determine was how you showed up, the advice you gave, you know, all your input, that's where the focus should be. Yeah. And it's, and it's a, and it, it requires a lot of, you know, soft skills. Mm-hmm. It, it actually should promote the uh, introverted attorney. Most attorneys are introverts, but the person who gets promoted is the extrovert uh, or gets celebrated is the loudest person in the room. 
um, the brashest person in the room, the most aggressive person in the room. This is changing, though. I, I, it, I think it, it is. I mean, you can see the sh- shift of even this, like, zealous advocate or being aggressive is not as a celebrated or promoted as it used to be because, you know, it it just fosters this environment of burnout, of dissatisfaction, mm-hmm. a lack of retention. Yeah. I mean, and even right now, I mean, people are switching careers in the legal profession right now because there's so much more opportunity. I, I was just talking to someone. It's like even now to go solo or small, the barrier to do that is so low. It is. And and you can compete. So it's like, let's say you have a very specific niche that traditionally is only provided at a big law firm. Well, now you can essentially go set up a solo practice just doing that niche and get the big law clients without all the systems and procedures and bureaucracy. And there's a place for big law, right? Like there is a place for there are certain needs that can only be met by a law firm that has a you know, a tax department and M&A department right. and employment law department, right? Like I couldn't have a client that's Kellogg's, right? But my firm represents Google mm-hmm. and we're a staff of as local counsel. That wasn't possible before. But now with technology and the ability for a small firm to provide the same service, and the budgets of a lot oh, of these we're... companies, they they are not oh. willing. Yes, no. certain things must go to the big law firms. They have to because yep. it's the CYA, right? <laughs> but the vast majority of their legal work is actually not that. Oh, no. And so it, it just provided kind of this opportunity um, for people to start thinking like, well, what? What should the practice law be? Why has it been this way before? And why should it be this way in the future? Should it change? What can we change? And there's a lot of conversations around this right now. And there's a couple different paths that can go. And some firms are going to double down. Mm -hmm. There will still be a need for those kinds of law firms. This is kind of goes back to flexibility. Flexibility is really just the openness for these different ways of practicing or being to coexist and thrive. Right. You know, is there still a need for a very traditional law practice? Sure. Because there's still a client who wants to go to an office, do kind of the usual thing. But at the same time, there's opportunities for someone to be an attorney living abroad traveling all of Europe and having clients in the United States. There's people doing that right now. So that's the cool thing I I see is that it's not that there's going to be necessarily like a a death of the traditional practice. It's that there's just going to be more variety, more opportunity, more openness, more acceptance, um, hopefully. Because that's even what clients want, right? Like clients are working at places that have, you know, uh, automation. 
mm-hmm. and technology and they can do their entire job from a smartphone. Yeah. How how jarring then when you go to a law firm that you can't pay a bill online. Yes. You know, or like how jarring to you can go and schedule a haircut online through a pretty snazzy scheduling tool, but you go to a law firm that's supposed to be sophisticated and you got to call someone. And sync up schedules. There's no like scheduling system that makes it easy for you to pick what works. Yeah. So, okay. That brings me into, because I want, before I let you go, for you to give people an idea of how you've done this. Yep. If somebody's saying, okay, I would love the four-day work week or maybe just the five-day work week, but very set hours, right? And not really have to work outside of those hours. Mm -hmm. How do you structure? How do you Mm -hmm. even begin going about thinking about the things that you need to time block? how to do that and make mm-hmm. it actually work. Because a lot of lawyers are like, that sounds great, but I could never do it. First, you have to get clearer with your values and your intentions. In in that, you have to decide like, why am I going to make this change? Otherwise, it's not going to be something that sticks. It's like mm. a habit. It's like forming a new habit. Yes. If you haven't gotten clear and accepted the why behind the decision you make, it's going to be like a New Year's resolution. You're going to start it and it's going to fail. The other thing is you have to set parameters and a structure with the ability to iterate and be flexible. And what I say is that, you know, with the four-day work week, it's really a mindset. It could be that when you're on vacation, you uh, remove email app from your phone. It doesn't have to be a big change. It could be that in the morning when you're drinking your coffee, you don't use any electronics. Or before you go to bed at night, you journal. Mm. What is it that helps you reframe and take back control and increase capacity for living for maybe doing something else doing a hobby or building on a relationship or trying uh or or acquiring a new skill mm-hmm. i mean here's the thing with attorneys like it can be that you go hey i want to have more capacity and energy to learn a new practice area i mean it can be that the thing you're going for, your why, is to grow and develop yourself professionally. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just started. One day I said, I'm going to do a four-day work week. I talked to my wife about it. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. I messaged it out. I told the team. I told my paralegal, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. I started using uh, out-of-office reply on Fridays, okay. saying that... And at first, it was because of the pandemic. In the email, I said, you know, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. It's been intense. (laughs) I'm taking this day to rest, to be able to provide better care for my clients and myself. I was honest. I I didn't create an excuse. I didn't try to sugarcoat it. I wasn't afraid of judgment. 
And actually, the feedback was very positive. It, it had the opposite effect. It was a brand enhancer. It was a differentiator. It was a, wow, you're taking the care for yourself so you can take care of me. The client response was a net positive. Other attorneys, it was a net positive. Mm. And so for me, it was kind of, like I said, figuring out your why, coming up with parameters, being okay with that it might not work right away or it might be uncomfortable. Don't have fear of judgment or self-criticism. Be kind to yourself. Be compassionate. I tell people, you know, the practice of law is hard. This hard stuff. We're helping people and businesses with sometimes novel issues that the law does not, isn't clear. I just did a court hearing yesterday. The judge was like, I'm not even sure. And and that's when you know you're like, okay, this is hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable. Doesn't mean you have to be miserable. And so try to remove some of those barriers to enjoyment or satisfaction or fulfillment. Take time to just celebrate and reflect Mm -hmm. on these changes you've made and what it means. So like for me, I can now look back and say like, okay, over the last half a year, year and a half that I've done this, what have I been able to do? Well, every Friday, my wife, me, and my now three-year-old son get to go on adventures. We've had a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, uh, we've gotten to do some cool experiences with making the changes with not using my smartphone. I have read more books in the last six months than I did in the prior six years. Wow. I took started taking a pottery class. I'd always want to try pottery. So I was like, I'm going to do uh, take a eight week pottery class. And so it's it's has my practice suffered? No, the exact opposite. I went from solo to teaming up with another attorney to adding two more attorneys in the last year and a half. All remote, all virtual, multi-state. Growth has happened because I have now a growth mindset. Mm. I've, I, I've, my wife is a yoga teacher, so she usually has these bits of wisdom. And one of them is um, growth requires growth. You got to grow to grow. Mm-hmm. And it seems so simple. And so really, I just flipped the switch of, like you said, like, I can't to, I can. What else can I do? And so that's where I'm at right now is in the space of what else, what else can I get away with? What other yeah. f- fun things can I do? Instead of I can't, well, how can I make this happen? Because yeah. once you like flip it, you your brain starts, oh, this is a challenge to be solved. How do I solve this problem? And we're problem solvers. Yeah, we are problem solvers. We're trained to be problem solvers. So start doing yeah. it for yourself, your own life. So, okay. So what I hear from you is... The mindset needs to be right first and foremost. That's where you start. Then Mm -hmm. set your parameters. And then basically just like get out there and try things and see what does and doesn't work. You're going to learn as you go. You're going to get better as you go. And be sure to look back and celebrate and see Mm -hmm. what it has given you. 
Um, Perfect. That's a perfect formula for, Mm -hmm. I think, success in just about anything, but certainly for this. So I think think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is going to really make people think. (laughs) I hope so. I hope it does. (laughs) I hope so. So how can people find you if they are looking to connect with you online? So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I also own and operate. We haven't even talked about it, but I own and operate a multi-state virtual firm, distributed law firm called Patino King. So you can find me there as well. It's patinoking.com. The website is uh, I built myself. Um, so I have a lot of pride in joining that as well. So happy to connect. I, I love talking about this stuff. I'm very passionate about it. Um, it's very fun for me. This is the most fun part, I think, about the practice of law is kind of being in the space of incubating what a law firm can look like, mm-hmm. um, what a practice can be is is really fun. So it's kind of my my playground is my own practice and I get to try these different things which is which is very fun. So thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been delightful. Thank you. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you on again in, in the future. Works for me. Thank you for listening to the Life & Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life & Law, including the Life & Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.